0: My name's Vito Alou. I'm 57 years old. I was born in St. Louis. Uh, I didn't really, when I was a little kid, nobody in my family was really uh, crazy for dogs or cats or anything. My parents were kind of neat freaks. So they they liked animals, but they thought they belonged on a farm or somebody else should own them. But uh, I guess, I don't know how I did it, but somehow when I was nine years old, uh, I guilted my dad into getting me a dog, and uh, it was a, well, we don't know exactly what it was. They said it was a beagle uh, terrier, but it, it definitely was a pit bull <laughs> mixed with beagle, right. and uh, she was little. She was probably 34 pounds, something like that, and uh, we lived in a neighborhood where you couldn't put up a fence. Everybody had a lot of land, but everybody just spayed and neutered their dogs, and they just you know ran in the neighborhood. It was a dead end neighborhood. So anyway, I had to keep her on a chain because she would whoop other dogs and stuff. But anyway, she lived to be eighteen years old. Wow! I, I had to stop and ask my parents that. I'm like, are you sure? But yeah, when I was twenty seven, they called me and said, "Hey, Maddie's not doing so great," and which she hadn't done very great for a long time. She was kind of blind and couldn't anything so anyway, I took her to the vet and the vet's like uh she's got a strong heart why do you want to put her down and I thought oh my god wow. I guess I'm crazy so he said she just has a tooth problem here's some antibiotics well we brought her home and that summer was like well, a really hot hot 110 degrees every day and then a couple of days later my mom called and said I don't know we let her to, out to go to the bathroom and we can't find her we've driven all over the place you know Cause she never went anywhere. She and if she did, she knew how to get home. Right. But uh, then we never found her. And I I've been such a crazy dog fanatic my whole life, But I never really heard this before. But I heard it when I was looking everywhere for her. They said, yeah, a lot of times the older dogs just go off and die. And uh, I guess that's what she did. Cause me, I mean, we called everywhere. We searched everywhere. Couldn't find her. Wow. But that that was my first dog. And she taught me a lot of stuff. Cause like I said, I think she was a pit bull mix. Definitely. Cause she, uh, uh, I have to keep her on a tie out when, uh, when we let her outside and my dad let her out like at five in the morning, he was getting ready to do stuff. And, and I could hear it in my bedroom. I woke up to a fight and I looked out the window and my dad's got a rake or something. He's beating something. Huh. <laughs> and his I came, you know, got him, got dressed and came out, and he's like, yeah, the other dog got away. But uh, he said, I don't know, this crazy dog, she would not let go of them, and they're twice as big as her, and they're biting her in the back and everything. She just wouldn't let go. Wow. And that's he said, I had more trouble with trying to get her to let go of them than them let go of her. So, <laughs> yeah, and I had plenty of things like that. She used to follow me to the park, and we lived close to this big park with a big lake, and everybody was fishing, you know, kids would be fishing. And she'd jump in and just chase the ducks and try to kill the ducks. And everybody would be like, hey, that dog's messing up my fishing. Is that your dog? And I'd be like, nope, that's not my dog. I'd just keep walking, and then eventually she'd catch up with me. But, yeah, she did a lot of stuff like that. So I, I was crazy about dogs from about five years of age. I mean, I used to follow stray dogs when we'd go to my grandma's. Uh, In the city, I'd walk through alleyways just to look at people's crazy dogs and stuff. I could tell you every breed, just about every book there was that I could find on dogs, I I read it. And so I I developed into a Joberman fanatic from, I guess, from 11 or 12. I used to go to shows if I could get my dad to just drop me off at a dog show. I used to go to the specialty shows. I used to subscribe to Doberman Quarterly, Doberman World. (laughs) Anyway, I hated, actually, it was all show dog stuff. And I kind of grew to hate dog show people and breeders. I hate them. I just thought they were nuts, which they are. (laughs) And uh, because I'd go to these shows in the 70s, the Doberman was it. And you go to shows and they were like people that were millionaires and people that were like dirt poor and women that had all this gold jewelry that had Doberman head earrings, <laughs> Doberman man. Yeah. They just look crazy. Some of them were dressed like they're going to a, a ball or something. Right. And their dog would win. And you'd see all these women jumping up and down and crying and shaking as if, you know, they won the world series. Uh, so I, I grew up thinking, Oh my God. And I actually worked for a lady, from about 14 to about 16 just cleaning her kennel she was a wealthy housewife her husband was like some big district attorney in st louis and uh she had a kennel of like 10 or 15 dobermans they're all show dogs and uh she you know i didn't understand as a kid i don't know if she put the dogs down or if she sold them or i, I really don't know she did she didn't tell me the truth and uh but I figured some of them she put down mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I never, I thought she was just a horrible person after that. I wouldn't work for it. I didn't want anything to do with her. Right. So I didn't really, as a kid, I just didn't understand. And I, I, I still don't understand some of that stuff, but, uh, I just thought a dog breeders were pretty crazy. And then I, I used to own a restaurant and, um, uh, Uh, I opened my restaurant when I was pretty young, I was like 25, and by the time I was about 32, I realized, man, I just work all the time, I don't, I was working six, seven days a week, even if I took two days off, if I could, uh, my mind was always at the restaurant, because, you know, you don't, it's a small business, there's not a huge profit margin, but you got to rely on minimum wage workers and stuff. So yeah. it just was too much. I thought this is just a lifestyle for me. I want to have some kind of a hobby. So I bought my first house and I decided I had a Doberman and I had some little mutt, uh, cattle dogs that I found. And then I thought, I knew about these American bulldogs from a dog book I bought called the world of fighting dogs back in the eighties. And, uh, I always loved the bulldog, uh, English bulldogs and stuff, and I read about them. Though I was like, "Wow, yeah, you know, they just have all these health problems." And at first, I thought, as a kid, I thought, "Oh yeah, that they the little short dogs, you know, they got wrinkles on their face so they can keep the blood out of their eyes," <laughs> <laughs> which is what uh, this one book I had called the C. Bailey Haynes, a uh, big book on bulldogs. You know, they said all that kind of stuff. Which then I started learning, hey, you know, that's probably not true. That's probably just like a marketing thing. And, uh, a English bulldog is bred on mutations. So they tend to have some physical problems sometimes, mm-hmm. but, uh, so anyway, I got it. I got my first one in 1988, but I never had any intention to ever breed dogs or anything. I just wanted a pet. And, uh, I got her from somebody, I guess in the back of dog world. And, uh, I didn't get papers, or if I did, I just threw them away. I don't. I don't remember. Anyway, she was like a a white dog with pink eyelids and a pink nose, and she was cowhocked, and she was nasty. Like once she got to be about five months old, she tried to beat up my cattle dog, and then she busted the pickets in my fence and grabbed the neighbor's packer spaniel, (laughs) and it cost me like four hundred fifty dollars. So I thought, wow, I just, this dog's just too crazy, and she's ugly as, (laughs) and she was just, uh, I probably would have appreciated her more now, because she had a lot of working drive, but I gave her to a guy that owned a farm, and uh, he was semi-retired, and and as far as I know, she she lived her life out there. Then I I decided to sell my restaurant, so I did, took a couple years, and um, when I did, I thought, wow, I have time. I'm going to get a really good American bulldog. So I contacted Mr. Johnson at that time. He told me all the grandiose stories and that he produced 150 pound dogs. And if I wanted the bigger dog, bigger than 120 pound ones, they were $1,500. If I wanted the regular dog, it was a thousand. So I sent him a deposit and it waited and waited. He'd have puppies, but there was a waiting list before me, And then I had a puppy and then it died. That happened like five times. And so um, I think he was even getting frustrated trying to get me a dog. He he was older, and uh, his idea was, uh, you know, the, the bitch has the puppies in the little whelping hut that they build, and whatever walks out of there five weeks, he'll sell. He doesn't – he says he never did anything, I, and I, I believe he didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm not sure he wormed his puppies, but uh, his dogs would die quite often too. Like I used to start visiting him. I went with a, a guy from Illinois here. We drove down the first time I ever went to Mister Johnson's. I was like, "Oh man, I cannot wait!" You know, he's the he's the you know biggest breeder, and he's got these famous dogs in dog world. Well, I got there, and it was like, "Wow!" Wasn't a big plantation. It wasn't. Uh, a very beautiful setup and uh he had a lot of yards and big dogs that would just run up and down the fence and bark and uh some of them are just not breedable as far as i was concerned and some were really awesome and uh i'd visit him all the time we used to cut his grass sometimes if we got there and we had time because uh he he had uh problems walking like with his knees i think <clears throat> Evidently, he worked his whole life on concrete and uh, in a carpet factory, and his wife took care of the dogs mainly, but he, that uh, she was a little tiny lady too, so she couldn't do a lot of the stuff, so just from my time going to visit him, I, I realized, oh, you'd, from one visit to the next, you know, six months, eight months, you'd see dogs grow up, and then you'd see Young dogs are gone. You know, it's like, what happened to him? Oh, he got hit by lightning, or he this and that. So eventually, he told me about a kid. Well, he's about my age, but then he then he called me called him a kid mm-hmm. that uh, produced a litter, and they were twelve weeks old. He hadn't sold any, and they're off of mainly his dogs. They were off a dog called Peeler's Chief bred to a female called Dallas, and Dallas was from a famous dog at the time called, uh, uh Gator red bred to a hundred percent Johnson dog. <clears throat> so it was a seven eighths Johnson dog, one eighth painter dog. So I got this dog, I call him Boomer. His registered name was rebel machines explosion. And, uh, he got huge. I mean, huge. When I picked him up, he was like 14 weeks old. I picked him up from the airport his so big, his head was rubbing on the top of the crate. And I guess the crate had been sitting, you know, up, you know, unmade full of dirt and dust. So the top of his head was like black. Like what the hell? And, uh, his bone was huge. he was just gigantic. When he got to be six months old or six and a half months old, he was 97 pounds. And when he was done growing, he was 148 pounds. And, uh, he was so tall, I was kind of embarrassed, because he was, I used to have a plastic patio table, and uh, I was doing something, so I was at eye level with the patio table, and he walked by it, and it hit right at the top, or at the bottom of his, or at the top of his withers, at the bottom of his neck, so I measured that thing, and it was 29 inches, wow. well, that's, that's way, that's huge compared to a lot of them, <clears throat> but, I used to be embarrassed. I'd say he's 28 and a half inches. Of <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people back then, everything was the weight and the size. Like Dog World Magazine, they would advertise, you know, Mr. Johnson had a dog called Elrod that said 150 pounds. You know, everything was 150 pounds, 140 pounds. You know, Mr. Johnson claimed he had a dog called uh, King's Bruiser Bo, the Sixth. Or the fifth or the sixth, I can't remember anymore. But he said he was a hundred over 170 pounds, which I'm not sure. I think uh, Mr. Johnson figured out that the bigger the dogs were, the more money people would pay, mm-hmm. and uh, that was his main goal there for a while. Is he always picked the biggest puppy. Mm-hmm. He'd tell us things. I don't know if he was pulling our leg or just uh, you know being from Georgia and we're I'm from Missouri. If he thought we were just dumb Yankees, and he'd tell us crazy stories, but <laughs> he'd tell us the craziest stuff. He told me once that one of his best Colette females, Colettes were the bigger females, uh, he said she was going to be 160, but he said uh, one night he saw a big light in the backyard and, and the UFO took her. <laughs> <laughs> so, And I'm not the only one he told that to either. Oh, he cool. told me that uh this other dog he had machine buckaroo i guess he was pretty big and uh he said that the king of spain bought him and uh before he went uh he it late one night he heard people talking and he came out and he said uh yeah I, i peeked through the bushes and it was buckaroo he was speaking english And I thought, oh, yeah, well, you know, my dog, Boomer, if a female's in heat or something, he gets all making these gurgly noises. It sounds like he's talking. He goes, no, no, he was speaking the Queen's (laughs) (laughs) speaking. So (laughs) I don't know if he said that stuff because uh, he just wanted to, he thought it was funny to fool fool a Yankee or something, or if it was just, he's getting old. I mean, he was close to 80 years old. Maybe he was losing it, but... So I had that huge dog, Boomer, and uh, nobody believed my dog was that big because, like I said, everybody lied about the size. <clears> At <throat> 11 months, I took him to a show in Tennessee, and uh, people were like, how big is he? And I said, I took him to the vet. It was 125. Of course, I, back then, he was uh, my first American Bulldog I kept, so I would take him to the vet and weigh him all the time. And so the, a lot of people didn't believe me, and they hung up a scale from a basketball hoop and weighed him. Sure enough, he was 125. And uh, he ended up to be about 148 pounds. So I've, I've gotten two other females eventually. One I got as a stud fee on Boomer. <clears throat> she ended up to be the female that I, I went forward with a lot more. The other one I bought, her name is Red Hot Reba. She had a great temperament, but she wasn't structurally as nice. Those two were both a little better than seven Johnson. Anyway, I, I bred to a big, huge dog called Tyson that was pretty well well known back then, and uh, that's kind of where I got my start. Early on, I was into big, you know. And of course, I've been was talking to Mister Johnson. And he was telling me all about all these stories about big, huge American Bulldogs and how fantastic and athletic they are, and how they're gamer than pit bulls and all this stuff, but I like my big dog, and I like Tyson, who was a 135-pound big American bulldog. He looked like he had a giant English bulldog head and and a thick, pretty nice body. Tyson was bred to a lot of hybrid, or a lot of the standard type or hybrid American bulldogs in California, so his blood's in a lot of the, uh, a lot of standard dogs and show dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's how I got my start. I started out kind of wanting uh, a big, not necessarily 140 pound dog, but 110 to 115 pound dog. And since I grew up around Dobermans and I'd go to shows and, you know, there's a bad structure. Doberman is usually better structure than most dogs. I couldn't get over how bad the structure was on these dogs. <clears throat> Back then, uh, most of the people didn't know what cowhocked was, and they I used to have people tell me, well, that's the way an American bulldog is supposed to be built. They're supposed to turn out their back legs in the back, or if they lacked angulation, they said, no, that's how a bulldog's supposed to be, because when they're pushing up against a, a wild boar, they need to lock their back legs. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed a lot. Uh, The dogs have gotten a lot better structure, but that's what I mainly bred for, size, structure, temperament. Temperament was another thing we had some trouble with because Mr. Johnson, um, he sold them quite a bit as a protection dog, and he didn't test his dogs or train them or do anything with them. Uh, And if he got one, he got a lot of dogs returned that were just nasty, like – for no reason, want to kill people or want to bite somebody. <laughs> uh, they're like fear biter type dogs. But yeah. to him, that meant that they were being protective and all this stuff. And so he had several, he had that dog Elrod uh, mm-hmm. came to him. And I saw Elrod once and he was big. He was probably at least 135. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wasn't a bad looking dog. He was more mastiffy than, than bulldog. But uh, he used to tell me, now don't, don't stare at him and if you go up to his fence, just talk baby talk to him. <laughs> <coughs> so, and he was, he was, they were weird. They liked kids and women, but they, if you're a grown man, and what it was is I think they sensed any kind of apprehension. And if that makes them uneasy, they're insecure with themselves and they just act uh, civilly. They, you know, they just fire up and, you know, bark and it's just it's mainly a fear fearful thing of course dogs that are civil uh they have a little bit of fear in them even though you know but a dog that bites you in fear is biting very hard (laughs) you know they can hurt you so a lot of these breeds that are good for that kind of work for guard work and stuff do have a little bit of civil drive you know uh, a lot of dogs that are really confident and uh sure of themselves they may not by the guy no matter what you know they might not have any theta step program to by the human being so you got to have a little bit of that civil drive to to have a, a good guard dog or watchdog or whatever you want <clears throat> so but mr. Johnson bred those so I had a lot of stuff early on that was psycho like that <clears throat> and it was weird because they'd reach a certain age and then I had a lady from Germany that bought a dog for me, Sabina, and uh, she used to drive me crazy. She'd call me and say, oh, Bubba's 130 pounds. And I'm like, whoa, no way. I mean, how could he be 130 pounds? He should be maybe 110. She goes, oh, I know he's so fat. My vet says I have to take weight off of him. He's gonna hurt his knees. I said, well, why don't you stop feeding him so much? And she goes, oh, I can't help it. I have little kids and he's always taking food. They're throwing food on the floor and he eats it. I'm like, well, and then she called me back and said, he won't let my my husband sit on the couch. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean he won't let him sit on the couch? She goes, oh, he growls at him, and he'll snap at him if he tries to move him. I said, yeah, well, you shouldn't let a dog like that sit on the couch or on the bed. She says, oh, we have to lock our doors at night so he doesn't come into our bedroom. He sleeps with my daughter. And I'm like, what? She goes, yeah. We used to let him sleep on the bed and then he'd take up all the room and we'd be falling on the ground and you can't move him and he'll bite you. And I'm like, Oh my God She goes, Well, what do I do? He doesn't like my father in law either. I said, Well, put a choke collar on him and a long leash and the minute he growls at somebody, yank him off their couch and she's like, I would never do that. Oh God, I would never do that. So and then she was they were at uh, Fort Leonard Wood here in Missouri. He was in the military. She called me back years later, crying and saying, could you take Bubba for four years? <laughs> I'm like, what? She said, could you take our Bubba for four years? We're going back to Germany and Vito, I know my country. They'll put him down. They'll give him a death injection. If we, if they test him and he growls, that's it. They'll put him down. And I'm like, I can't, there's no way I can take care of your dog for four years, especially if he's crazy like that. So I've had to weed through that kind of temperament. If anything, nowadays my dogs are less suspicious and a little more naturally loving of just everybody they meet that that comes and finds. They'll defend their territory if somebody strange comes up, but I I don't care for bulldogs that just want to bite somebody for no reason. Mm -hmm. But I bred for size for years, and then I got a a female off of Tyson – read right to a 100% Johnson dog a guy named Jeff Daly has called uh, Mustang Sally uh, and she was a female I called uh, Broadzilla and she was a more compact dog with very low body fat and just muscle I mean she could just sit around all day and just have muscle definition <clears throat> I love that and then I sold a dog to a guy who introduced me to this dog that was in Illinois called Bufasa. Nobody knew who he was at the time, and he was about the same age as my dog, Broadzilla. And uh, he sent me a videotape of the dog, and I just, I never thought it was going to be anything, because people used to always do that. They'd say, oh, I got a great male, and they send me the thing, and I'm like, oh my God, he's, he's not really that nice. But this dog turned out to be really nice. He looked like my dog, Broadzilla, only a male version And he was a smaller, more compact, low body fat, super muscular dog. And so then my direction changed. Everything was, I gotta breed Mufasa to Broadzilla. Both their hips checked out really good. They're both very similar. She was like the female version of him. But as fate had it, I tried and tried. I drove, took off work, did all kinds of stuff. Uh, Progesterone tested her, spent a fortune. And he could not tie her. I don't know what the deal was. If she was too manly <laughs> for him, <laughs> she, he, he was just turned off because he tied other females, but he could never tie her. So we had to do AIs. And every time I did an AI, it would not take with her. So I was going on like, she was about four years old almost and never had a litter of puppies. And she was the first bully champion American Bulldog uh, that I know of. And the, uh, there's an organization called the ABNA and uh, she was the first one that was registered as a champion, and uh, Mufasa was like the third champion, and like I said, I I wanted to breed them together, and then finally I'm like, this is never going to happen, so I bred her to her nephew, and then my goal was to breed uh, their their kids, their offspring together, which is what I did, and that got me pretty well known. I produced some pretty famous dogs uh, that ended up all over the world, but... (coughs) Along that time, I'd sold the dog to some people in Virginia. It was just a nice family, and the dog was super, super beautiful. Bully, everything you wanted in a dog. And they, we became pretty good friends. They'd send me pictures and tell me about all the things the dog was doing. Well, they'd leave for work in the morning and just put him out in the backyard. And uh, he was fine. And he was about three years old. <coughs> and they went to work. It was a spring day. It wasn't summer. But it was you know, came up kind of hot, and anyway, the neighbor had a garage that was up against their property line, and they didn't know it, but they had a crew of uh, roofers ripping the roof off and putting a new roof on that garage, so this dog went nuts all day barking at these these guys that were on his territory, well, he overheated and died, and their kids came home from school, walked in the backyard and found this dead dog that overheated mm. with blood coming out of his mouth. And uh, i it, it hadn't really affected me too much at that point. It hadn't really sunk in how bad the breathing was with American Bulldogs because at that time I lived in town, I had a big yard, I built a little kennel house off the side of my garage that was heated and air-conditioned, and uh, I only had seven or eight dogs at tops, and uh, so they all lived in air-conditioning. Um, they, they, they weren't like outdoor dogs and I didn't do anything besides take them for walks in the park or I hadn't done bite work or caught hogs or done anything with my dogs at that point. But every year, every summer, all these famous dogs would die. Some people would tell the truth and say, yeah, he overheated. Some people are like, Oh no, he got struck by lightning or he, he, uh, you know, had an allergic reaction to something or whatever they but i started realizing that all these dogs have uh a degree of palate problems breathings like like the english bulldog mr johnson uh admitted to using some dogs that david levitt first bred an english bulldog to an american bulldog and as it turns out now we know he gave whole litter, everything he didn't keep, he just gave it to Mr. Johnson. <clears throat> and he uh, he started like, he calls them two different lines but he called the female sugar doll and he called the other ones uh, machine line. And what most people don't realize is those dogs were at sometimes 50% to 25% English Bulldog. And he line bred on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the NKC used to have a they call the seven-eighths rule that if you wanted to outcross uh, a different breed into the into your bloodline you had to breed back to an america registered american bulldog till it was seven-eighths or less that blood mm-hmm. and uh, i mean you mention it to some american bulldog people nowadays and they just flip their lid oh my god that's horrible they should never they should never let any other breed into the gene pool otherwise we don't have a pure breed well Mr. Johnson, (laughs) he he got a half and half and registered them as American Bulldogs and bred, line bred off of it. So today, all of these bully American Bulldogs are a minimum of 25% uh, West Champs High Hopes, that dog that they crossed in. Now, I can guarantee you that that isn't the only English Bulldog that's been crossed in. Uh, I even know from old timers, old people that had this type of dogs in the United States. That would we'd ask them, "Hey, where did these dogs come from? How were they derived?" And they'll talk. Yeah, sometimes they put you know a pit bull in there. They, they they claim they'd always been here, which I'm sure they were. They were like a catch-weight pit bull. When those dogs first came to the United States, they didn't call them pit bulls. They just called them bulldogs. Mm-hmm. And the people that fought the dogs, uh, if they had a bigger one that wasn't his game, they, they'd they either put it down or they'd give it away to a rancher or a hog hog hunter. Well, a hog hunter would love it a 50 pound, 60, 70 pound pit bull. Or if it's a mix, they don't care. They really don't care what it is. They bred basically for a purpose. Mm-hmm. If, if they had a, you know, I know that because today, in 2020, I deal with hog hunters and they they're not dog breeders and they're not they don't care about paperwork or money they only care about catching hogs and whatever animal they can work with that makes it easy for them is is great if it catches and it works it's pure it's Mm -hmm. pure to them Mm -hmm. I gave a, a female to a hog hunter that I'm really good friends with now her name he called her Grace and he bragged about how great Grace was. I, I actually went on a hog hunt with her, and I, I didn't think she was so great because she, she would get kind of aggressive like she was wanting to try to kill a pig, which, you know, if you're ever on a hunt with wild boar, especially if they're 175 pounds or bigger, a 70-pound bulldog is not going to they're trying to kill the hog there to me that's not a really good catch dog mm-hmm. but anyway he loved her because she would jump on anything and once once one dog jumps on the the bay dogs have the, the courage to grab and the more dogs you got grabbing one of those pigs before you have to kill it the better for the hunter <coughs> it's safer mm-hmm. so anyway he's like i want to breed grace and i'm like okay great uh, who do you want to breed her to oh i'm gonna breed her to bozo and I'm like, what? Well, who's that? I'm, oh, my friend. that's my friend's dog. So, oh, well, what bloodline is it? Who's it? He goes bloodline. No, he's a great catch dog. He's half Weimaraner, quarter Pit Bull, and you know Catahoula. <laughs> like, wow. Why, why would you want to do that? He said, because he's an excellent catch dog, and she's a nice catch dog. That that's all they care about. You know, they if you go hunting with a lot of, I mean, serious hog hunters, their little tribe of of uh dogs or bay dogs and if they go through the whole thing <laughs> none of those very few of the dogs are purebred you yeah. they there you know there are some not of hunters that swear by a blackmouth cur or a walker hound or a plot hound or something like that but they're not prejudiced if if it's got 25 percent beagle in it and it still works good they don't care right. all they care about is the work so that's kind of how the american bulldog sort of, you know, came around because in the 1800s, uh, early 1900s, people, uh, the people in the cities, more well-to-do people, may have been like show dog people, but uh, the people that use these dogs to hunt and catch and herd cattle and, and push cattle, they were not. <laughs> these were pleasure animals. These were. Dogs that you know brought home the bacon—they helped them survive, so mm-hmm. they didn't care about papers, nothing. You know, their mindset was like uh, dog people were going back thousands of years. Uh, you want You know what a pure bulldog is? Is a bulldog that catches bulls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's doesn't—it's not paperwork, and it's not uh, some snooty idea of what's pure. <clears throat> so. That's pretty much what's going on. The old old timers had always told us that yeah, every once in a while there's put a pure English. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like a English bulldog? I'm like, yeah. Well, back in the twenties, there's uh the English Bulldog was different. It, it it was a sour bug, but it had some leg to it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine they had to breed natural and wealth natural. They even wealthy people, you know, in the city and stuff, if they I guess if they if you told them, hey, let's, we're going to have a C-section, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Or we're going to AI a dog. They're like, huh? So the dogs were a little different, but there's still, I'm sure a lot of that English Bulldog was. And there's other stuff in the dogs, too. Like I said, the the guys just bred whatever worked. And then you had people that bred just purely for a dog to have in their pickup truck. Mm-hmm. So... If you got a guy that's like, hey, so-and-so's got a big old Great Dane Bulldog mix, we'll put that in there and I'll have a big old dog for my pickup. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's kind of the way the breed developed. But ever since Mr. Johnson produced the bullier-looking dogs off that English Bulldog cross, I'd say about 90% of the American Bulldogs that are bred today are uh, what they call the bully type. And uh, they... They have some breathing issues. So, but for the last 12, 17 years, I bet I've been trying to clean up the breathing and to actually make the dogs where they can function the way the written standard describes them <clears throat> in a traditional way. So, I've had to outcross to a lot of standard dogs. And, you know, the first one I did was a, this flood called Man of War. It, uh, there's one dog that's pretty well known in there called Vader Red, and people, a lot of people, have just with the Johnson dog and say, "Oh, that just looks like a giant pit bull." Which I don't, you know, I don't think they were a pure pit bull. It was, you know, probably had more pit bull than a less English bulldog than the Johnson dog mm-hmm. But back then, I didn't know any better. You know, of course, everybody starts off breeding dogs; they know everything. Nobody can tell them anything, mm-hmm. and they could just look at pictures and figure out what's what to breed because it's all about the way they look well that's the way I thought back then I thought I'll just breed to the standard dog and then I'll breed back to my Johnson blood and I'll have the look I want but I'll all of a sudden I'll all that breathing stuff will disappear so I tried it at first didn't work I tried another standard dog I bought a dog from a guy in New York upstate New York called Gail Raponi it was a black and white female called Dinah. I used her and did the same thing, bred right back to my stuff to keep the look. And, uh, uh, you know, it was almost like not doing anything really. I'd get some that would breathe good and I'd get some that didn't breathe good. And uh, probably about eight years ago, I started getting some results. I don't know if it was just from outcrossing or if it was from so many generations of selecting on breathing, on cleaner pall- pallets, but <clears throat> I I used to start testing my dogs in the heat. I'd have a garden hose going, and I'd get them on a slurp pole or whatever they like to do, and I'd push it to the point where they're, they're going to overheat, and uh, the dogs that could recover on their own, it wouldn't have any issues except, you know, panting and being tired. Um, those I'd breed, the ones that would vapor lock, and I'd have to pull out a hose to keep them from getting overheated. Those I I wouldn't breed. So a lot of people started accusing me of uh, crossing in and all kinds of stuff. Early on, I was really into uh, uh, hip x-rays and doing the pen hip evaluation. And I produced a lot of dogs with pretty good hips. And uh, like I said, Broadzilla, that dog was highly, really muscular. And uh, I line-bred, I inbred her three times, and then I outcrossed her, and then I line-bred that back throughout with using the Fossa blood, was also real muscular and had tight hips. And so I get dogs with crazy muscle and uh, tight skin. It's a little different looking than Johnson or Scott dogs. And uh, like I said, I outcrossed crossed the Man-of-War. The Man-of-War dogs had a lot of color. You know, some of them are almost solid red or solid brindle. And then I outcrossed to Gail Raponi's dog, which is kind of the same bloodline as uh, Aspen Rare. And uh, they use uh, Heinz dogs that are, uh, were hog catching type dogs cross to Scott. And uh, a dog called Aslan. Aslan's a real controversial dog too. Some people say, oh, he was an oldie mixed American bulldog cross, which I'm not sure, there's no evidence of that, but uh, his father, I think, this is back in the 90s, his father's pedigree was pretty much made up or questionable. Anyway, he was a great dog, but he had black. He had, uh, he produced black that wasn't brindle, flat black. So I got the black, and uh, I didn't try to, but I started producing really good dogs that were like heavy colored black, and uh, I priest about three generations of them, and uh, I didn't show them a lot to anybody just because they had more color than they, than Johnson dogs normally do. And, uh, but then I did a breeding with this male I produced called BMJ to a female I had called Monella. Monella was a decent dog, she, she, was, a, she was black, like a tuxedo black, I'd call it, and uh, uh, BMJ was white with a fawn or red patch on his face and a spot on his back. And so I thought, oh, you know, he'll break up the color, no problem. And so they had seven puppies. The two white ones were born dead. (laughs) There was two solid red and three blacks, and uh, they all had too much color on them. So at the time, I was like, I'm just going to keep a male and a female and uh, put the rest in pet homes, just selling to pet people. But uh, the guy that owned BMJ... BMJ's a dog I produced, and he owned the dog, and he was all excited, I guess, because that was his first litter off of BMJ, and uh, he was, like, talking to me into just, let's place them out with people, and we can keep track of them and use them as we need to. Like, okay, fine, let's do that. Well, they turned out to be incredible dogs, this dog called Huggy, that just the structure and muscle. was incredible. And then Huggy produced a dog called uh, Gaucho. He championed out his aunt uh, Gracie. She's a black dog. She was the first black bully champion. And uh, it started a craze for the black dogs. uh, Just because they were structured really good, but when you get a black, shiny coat and they have muscle like that, it shows every fiber, uh, every cut of their muscle. And uh, it just really... stands out like bodybuilders if you see professional bodybuilders they get so tan they look uh you know crazy they they just just look like somebody poured shoe polish all over them and they do that and they grease themselves up and they do that because it shows every fiber and cut of their muscle so anyway nowadays there's a big craze everybody there's a lot of people that love black dogs heavy colored dogs black dogs and you'll see it's a lot more mainstream now than it used to be But um, those dogs still didn't breathe as great as I'd like to. That was like 2006, 2008. So anyway, nowadays my dogs breathe a lot better. I've outcrossed more standard dogs, um, and I'm pretty much done. I've got to the point where I'm pretty much now making full circle. I'm starting to just select for looks and size and little cosmetic stuff and trying to concentrate with the blood I'm using now because I've, I've produced a lot of dogs that function as catch dogs here in Missouri and Texas and in Oklahoma. And I'm pretty much sticking to that same gene pool. And, uh, uh, I've got a help way healthier dog than I did when I started better temperament and they can actually, most of them can actually do the job that, um, the historical depiction of American Bulldogs stated in all the books, and, and even Mr. Jackson used to talk about. and Alan Scott talks about, you know, being able to be a catch dog that works day in, day out, no matter how hot it is outside, mm-hmm. and can come home and play with your kids in the front yard. Mm-hmm. So that's about where i have had now. It's, uh, like I said, it's been a quite a learning experience because there's no books Right. That tell you how to do any of this stuff. Uh, even though a lot of people think they read a book written by certain people and, you know, doctor so and so and you find out they're a doctor of like education and they've never let bred a litter of dogs. They've only showed quiche hounds or something like that. Right. So it's hard to learn. There's nobody out there to tells you do this or do that. I don't think there's really a combination. You gotta kinda do it and see what happens there's you can't do it off a piece of paper right so uh, now in 2020 i realized that uh, i didn't know what the hell i was doing (laughs) i i realized that you know there was a lot a lot more knowledge to gain than uh than i thought i thought when i got into it that hey you know what i'm gonna uh, straighten out the cowhawks and uh, i'm gonna breed a prettier nicer looking dog with a huge head and just awesome and you know, I'm sure that's. I see younger guys that's they're doing the same thing, and uh, you know, I judge dog shows sometimes, and <clears throat> I have people. I try to tell them certain things, and you can tell that that old saying that when the when the student's ready, the teacher will come. That's kind of how it is. If you're not receptive to learn something, uh, it's you just don't have the consciousness for it. You're not going to learn it. Right. So experience and getting out there and doing it is the only thing that really you know does it and, and there's people that have done it for longer than me that they still i still don't think they're getting it but they're in their mind they have a different goal they're not out to try to change and improve the breed for breathing or working ability they're just whatever whatever their little goals are and that's what they're